Praise God. We've been talking about Ephesians chapter 3. We, we studied the first 12 verses or read the first 12 verses last, uh, last time. I'm getting a little bit of whistle in this microphone. I don't know if anybody else can hear it but me, but there we go. Uh, we said that, that that passage had seven things in it. It actually has about eight things in it. But uh, the first seven are revelation understanding, privilege, riches, universality, that is the universal nature of something, and triumph, purpose, and faith. But let's begin reading again in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. For, the call, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given me to you, word, how that by revelation he, the Lord, Jesus made known unto me, Paul, the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You understand that we live in a very special time. For 2,000 years we have seen something that the entire in the entirety of humanity had never seen before. You are a very privileged people to live in this time. You might wonder why God would do that. I don't know why God would do that, but that's exactly what he did. He let us live here in this special, wonderful time, this wonderful dispensation of grace. And that is the name of this message. This is part two, by the way, for, our, for the sake of those listening on CD. or uh, what's that? What do you put that on, on, on the computer, Israel? podcasts I do podcasts I don't know anything about it but apparently I do them uh, people tell me I listen to your podcast I said that's cool I don't know what that is <laughs> I know what pods are they're they, you know they're beans that grow in Oklahoma dirt but <laughs> and, and a podcast is when a bean doesn't look good you throw it away that's <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for the sake of you who are listening in that, in that way, this is actually part two of the same message, the, the dispensation of grace. And we live in this wonderful time. He said, he said that it was not revealed in times past. That the Gentiles, and here he tells you what the secret is, what the mystery is. Don't get confused about God being a mysterious God and he hides things from us and all that. That's just not really the fact. Preachers have gone wild with talking about the mysterious things and how they, they do that to try to keep you in, in slavery and in bondage so that they act like they have been had something revealed to them that you can't possibly know because you're too stupid. And I'm telling you, I've been, I've been made to feel that way. Sitting where you are, I've had preachers talk down to me like they don't. I, I, want, I want the guy that's teaching me to be smarter than me. Is that okay? Don't you want the guy teaching you to be a little bit smarter than you, at least so you can learn something, you know? I mean, that's okay. I'm not saying preachers shouldn't be educated. I, I, I educate preachers myself. It's what I do when I'm not here. But, but I'm, saying, I'm saying the reason for that is so that all of God's people can live in the glory and beauty of this great thing called grace, which was a mystery that God held, held secret until Jesus came and revealed it all to Paul, what we could have. If the, Bible, if the language of the Bible means anything, Peter didn't know about this. James didn't know about this. John didn't know about this. 
If the language of the Bible means anything, only Paul got it. Because he was willing to take it to the Gentiles and take the horror, many horrors that would come upon him for preaching such a message. The reason why he got beaten was simply this. Not because he demanded that everybody lived holy. Moses had been doing that for several thousand years. Not because he demanded that they shape up to a certain religious ethic or religious code. There were lots of religious ethics, lots of religious codes back then. It would have just been a number. Uh, uh, it would have just been one of, of many more. They just, they'd have just made room. The Greeks were used to having all kinds of different gods, and new teachers coming along and said, we ought, to, we ought to build a monument to this god. I mean, it, it was all okay in that day to have multiple gods and multiple kinds of religions. It was fine. The more, the merrier. You understand that? Then comes Paul with this radical message that is so different and so unique and so opposite all other religions as to put to shame and to make obsolete every other religion in the world. Don't get the idea that you're a Christian and that guy over there is something else, but we're all going to the same place. Don't get that dumb idea. The Bible does not make room for that. There is one way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He that comes to the Father must come by me. Period. And that's what made everybody so mad about Paul. That's why they wanted to kill him. You just, you just go ahead and make room for everybody to get to go to heaven because as long as you're sincere, you, you just go ahead and make room. You won't have any enemies. You and Oprah will just be popular as you can be. But you tell them there's just one way to go, to go to heaven and stay there. I mean, everybody's going to go to the white throne judgment, you understand, but not everybody gets to stay. That makes hell a lot, lot worse because you go to hell from heaven. <laughs> the contrast is just unbearable. Everybody's going to stand before the great white throne judgment, right, and then be cast into hell from there. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. But not everybody. Some of us are going to be the sheep on his right hand. It's just one way. Uh, don't be surprised that I'm preaching like this. This is a Christian church. We think we know the truth. We think Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. Because we think that this Bible is true. We think that the Apostle Paul really did have the revelation. And we think we're right. The reason we think that is because we are <laughs> and uh, you can change my mind right now. Uh, you can change my mind right now. I've, I've, I've had debates with really strong theological doctorates. So change my mind, buddy. Fix me. I'm here. I promise I won't even pray about repenting. I will just change my mind right now and believe what you believe. But there's just one tiny little issue I'm going to have after I've said that, is you've got to prove it to me from what Paul taught. Knock yourself out. <laughs> None of them have done it yet. Because I know what he meant. And you do too. He meant that faith in Jesus was everything. 
Faith in Jesus will turn your whole, Dylan, did it turn your whole life around? Turn your whole life around. Going from being an agnostic, maybe even an atheist, at least a bonehead, right? I mean, we're, we're all kind of boneheaded. <laughs> some, some brand of it. Faith in Jesus changes everything. Make you a brand new creature. And this wonderful, glorious gospel, this dispensation of the grace of God was not known for thousands of years. Oh, they, they had a, a dim view of it through the prophetic voice. They, they, they could they'd get little glimpses of it here and there, and they'd look ahead, and they'd say, oh, maybe one day. And they'd hear, they'd hear the Spirit say, that I'm going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses, and him you will hear. Other prophetic words said, everybody in the kingdom will know me. You don't have to, every neighbor's not going to have to say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And this prophecy, by the way, is restated in Hebrews chapter 8. How much preaching have you heard and how many Christians have you heard saying, you need to know God, I just want to know the Lord better. How much of that kind of language goes on in the church when we don't believe what the Bible says that you already know the Lord? You already know Him. You have the witness of the Spirit in your heart. I'm just trying to know God. Really? Really? You're still working on that, are you? I'm telling you, the moment you get saved, you know the Lord. You have His, His voice ready and available to speak to you. Amen. And we shouldn't be running around telling everybody to know the Lord as though they don't. What they don't, what they don't know, they're not conscious of His indwelling presence because we always put Him way off away from us trying to get Him to come do something for us. We do this in theology. We do this in our songs. We do this in our practice. We do this in the way we pray, get down to pray. We see ourselves way down here and Him way up there. Instead of his ever-present indwelling spirit within us. You understand? This is a different day. It's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, what he said about John the Baptist. He that is, uh, he said, of those that are born of women. I'm going to do my best to give you a direct quote, but it may be just a bit paraphrased. Of those that are born of women, there has never been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus said about him. Is that right? And maybe remember this. He said, but, I love this, he that is least in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, is greater than John the Baptist. Does that mean John the Baptist wasn't going to be in the kingdom? No, John's going to be in the kingdom. John's going to be in the kingdom, certainly. He died before Jesus. I believe when Jesus died, he went, into the, he went into what is called hell, actually. Not into Gehenna, not into the fire, but he went into hell, and he brought up all those who, were, who had died with the blood of bulls and goats, their promissory notes written in the blood of bulls and goats, when he went there and led captivity captive and brought them out of Abraham's bosom. I believe it with all my heart. I believe John the Baptist was there. John got to take part. Of course, of course, of course. But, but, John got in through an old economy, an old covenant, an old agreement. He did not get in by the blood of Jesus before he died. He got in by the blood of Jesus after he died. You follow that? Understand the old economy said the blood of bulls and goats would save you from the fire, but it would not take you to heaven. Abraham's faith did not take him to heaven. Abraham's faith took him he escaped the fire. Jesus had to do what he did before anybody could go to heaven. That's really good. 
Without the blood of Jesus, nobody goes to heaven. But under the blood of Jesus, everybody goes to heaven. Glory to God. Everybody who will believe in Him. Everybody who will believe the message. Amen. And this is what Paul kept preaching. He gets to, he gets to uh, Philippi in Acts chapter 16. And there he is. And the, this jailer has just, along with the magistrates and the other what they call lictors, the lictors were, were specialists with the whip. The Roman whip, the cat of nine tails, the flagellum it's called. And they beat a man until he's just a bloody pulp. They were trained to beat them within an inch of their life. But oftentimes they went, they went past that inch and killed them. Killed many people under the, under the Roman whip. This we know from history, it's a fact. It's amazing that Jesus lived after the beating he took. Paul took one of those too at Philippi. It says that when the jailer sprang in, you remember the jailer got saved, the jailer took him and Silas and washed their stripes. Well, if they were just whelps, what, what, what does washing do for them? These were open wounds that Paul and, and, and Silas had taken. And when Paul was, had taken that beating, in the dungeon afterwards, he's worshiping God. He's beaten, he's bloodied, He's in a European, Philippian, Macedonian prison, which were the worst of the worst. And he's worshiping. Singing songs, singing like, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. It's amazing to me. Paul, what's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with me. I hadn't lost my mind. I'm just filled with the Holy Ghost. I just know God hadn't left me. I don't care how bad things get. I know God is here. And when God is on the scene, everything's going to be all right. I don't care where you are today. The trouble you're going through, it may feel like you've been abandoned. But let me say to you, Jesus was abandoned when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first time and only time in all of his, in all of his time on earth that he called God, talking to God, the first time and only time he ever called him something other than Father. When talking to him. Because there he didn't feel like his father. He just felt like a God who had abandoned him. You know why? The reason he was so abandoned. The reason he felt that way. He was doing that for you. And when he died, he paid the price for that abandonment so you'd never have to feel it again. I don't care if you are in the bottom of the worst kind of prison in Philippi. Amen. I don't care if you've been beaten to a bloody pulp. I don't care if you have no money. I don't care if your friends and your mama has even forsaken you. God will never leave you. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Woo! I don't know what that does to you, but that helps no farm boy from Oklahoma feel good. Amen. Praise God. I believe all Oklahoma farmers ought to go to heaven. I mean, it'd be a downright shame to farm all your life and go to hell, too. <laughs> I'm just, I just, <laughs> be a cosmic injustice is what that'd be. <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by what? <laughs> the good news, not by some bad news. It's remarkable, remarkable to me how much preaching there is out there in the world and how little of it is really good news. 
the gospel. The third thing that we didn't get to last week was privilege. Privilege. We first of all said that uh, in this passage of Scripture and in the dispensation of grace, you first of all have revelation. Secondly, you have understanding. But then you have this great privilege, this privilege. And it says there are three things. Fellow heirs, you see that verse? Do you have that verse up there, verse 6? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. That has to do with sonship and of the same body. That has to do with membership. And then partakers, that has to do with ownership. Sonship, membership, ownership. That's three ships I want in. Praise God. Sonship, membership, and ownership. Amen. I was, uh, I, I, I have a pastor who is an old apostle in the Lord, and he, uh, I, I just believe everyone needs to have authority over them. And I'm going to bring him to you if I can get him to come. He's very aged right now. His name is Dr. James E. Hester, Jim Hester. He pastored a great church in Arlington, Texas, and just a wonderful old man of God. Spoken into mine and Miss Ann's lives for many, many years now as our overseer and pastor. And now that both of, both of our dads are in heaven, we, we call him dad most of the time. Calls me son. Makes me feel young when I'm around him. But he's, he's, had, he's had a great ministry and a great life. and Been a missionary, speaks fluent Italian. He went to school at the University of Milan, Milan or Florence, I'm not sure, but in Italy anyway. And This guy is just a world traveler, really smart. And uh, as his years were winding down, he decided in his mid-60s, late-60s, to re- retire from his church and just start traveling and preaching and being a missionary again because he had plenty of money to do all that. He, um, he, so when he would go travel and preach because he didn't need money, he would receive offerings, but he always gave all of the money to missionaries. That's what he did. He just lived the rest of his ministry and just received money to give away to missionaries that he knew around the world. Isn't that sweet? It's just precious because he had plenty of his own to live on. But he traveled every Sunday and preached. He came to my churches, you know, I got a number of churches I oversee. And one of those people that he, that he had brought up through the years was a guy who had a street ministry in Fort Worth, Texas, named Bill something or other. I can't remember Bill's last name, but Bill, Bill would feed the homeless kind of on this old slab out by the highway, big old concrete slab that, where there used to be a building, you know. But Bill used that place to, to, to set up shop, and he would bring a grill out there and just cook for the homeless on Sunday mornings. And one day he asked Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim, I'd like you to come preach to my crowd on Sunday morning sometime. And Bill said, or Pastor Jim said, I'll do it, Bill. The first Sunday I have open, I'll, I'll be there. And, uh, and his wife uh, some months went by, and, and, and he wasn't thinking about going to Bill's slab on Sunday morning because, uh, because uh, he, 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 uh, he said, he, said he, uh, he couldn't receive an offering at that place for, for missionaries. 
Well, he gets up one sun, one Sunday morning, and and his wife said, or one Saturday morning, he said he starts thinking about the weekend. He says, he says, uh, Joanne, where are we going to go to church? Where am I preaching this weekend? She always ran the book. She said, You're going to preach the slab for old Bill. He said, Oh no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yes, you are, Pastor Jim. You told him that the first open Sunday you had, you'd be down there to preach for him. And you had this Sunday open. She said, no, you start calling preachers. You call John Holler. You call these other guys. i got to be in a church so I can receive an offering for my missionaries out there. She said, no, nope, you're going to keep your word. You told him the first open Sunday you had, and I got you scheduled, and you're going tomorrow to preach, <laughs> preach to the street people. Well, I can't receive an offering to, with street people. They don't have any money. She said, I don't care. You, that's where you're going. He said, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going. Well, on his way down there, <laughs> on his way down there, he was thinking, well, I'm glad I rode my motorcycle. So he, he, he decided, when he did decide he was finally going to go, he thought, I'm going to take my motorcycle. He had a big old, what's that Honda, that big old roadster thing that Honda makes it. The gold wing. He, he had a gold wing, and he, he rode it down there. And, you know, thought the street people might have, a, have a fun looking at, looking at this beautiful motorcycle. So he rides it, that gold wing down there, and gets off. And so they, they could have a look at it, and maybe a talking point for him to get his sermon started. He stands up there and starts preaching. And in the sermon, he said something like this. I never wanted to be rich, didn't care. He said, but I told the Lord, Lord, one day I want enough money just to be able to go anywhere in the world and preach the gospel when I get an invitation from any nation, any place, because some of these places don't have money, and they invite me, and I have to work to raise money. He said, I just want enough money to be able to, you know, to fly there and do what I need to do and come back. He said, he said, I know you don't have, I know you'd like to have a big motorcycle and you'd like to have a good meal and you'd like to have a good, a good job and all that. But let me tell you, stuff doesn't satisfy you. That's, why, that's how he used that to help, the, to, you know, help in his message to the street people. He said, I noticed something, though, in the crowd. Standing off over there at the edge of the crowd was a guy with looked like a $1,000 Stetson hat on, $2,000 pair of handmade ML Letty cowboy boots, had, had a Rolex watch on, fingers dripping with gold and diamonds. He said, man, he was dressed to the nines. And he said, I looked at that guy over there at the edge of that crowd. He said, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, you may not know it, but God speaks to me. I knew instantly in my heart, that's no ordinary street person. He said, <laughs> said, after the message, that guy named Sam Castor walked over to me and said, Dr. Hester, did I hear you say you just wanted to be able to travel the world whenever you needed to travel? That's all you ever wanted from God, was to be able to go when you wanted to go? He said, yeah, I've been looking forward to that day when that happens. Sam Castor reaches in his pocket, pulls out a business card, and writes a lady's name and a phone number. He said, I own that travel agency among a number of other businesses that Pastor Jim later found out, he said, I own that travel agency. You call that lady at that phone number and book every flight you ever want to fly from this day forward, and you will not pay a dime for them. For as long as you live, 
Pastor Jim took that card and he said, Brother, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I don't think you know how much I travel. Sam Castor looked at him and said, Oh, I'm sorry. I don't think you know how much money I have. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on, everybody, say, I'm privileged. You live in a wonderful day when God can do anything. God can meet your need in the weirdest ways. Yeah, I mean, he may take you t- to a street church instead of to your high-powered church, like this one, and uh, <laughs> on a Sunday and provide for you in a place where you wouldn't think he could provide for you. God can provide for you because you are privileged. Not only can he, he wants to. He wants to show you things and give you things that nobody's ever seen before. That'll leave all of your relatives back at home saying, well, I don't think she deserves all that. No, mama, I don't deserve none of this. I got it by what they call grace. I'm in a dispensation of the grace of God. Hallelujah. I'm not out trying to earn something. Jesus earned it all for me. I'm just using my faith to get it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Privilege is a great thing. Privilege is a great thing. I've talked to you all a lot about my grandbabies. They have privileges with me my kids only dreamed of. (laughs) How many grandparents in the house? Do your grandkids have privileges that you would never allow your kids? Absolutely. I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't understand it myself. I don't even like myself for it, but I ain't going to change. Amen. Verse 7 says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The next thing I want you to notice is the word riches. It's an interesting word that often many Christians shy away from. I don't shy away from this word. I don't want you to shy away from this word. Riches. Now, in the Greek, you've got to know what it really means to understand this passage of Scripture. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And when you take it in its context, what he's really saying is what God is able to provide for you beyond your wildest imaginations. The word is plutos. P-L-O-U-T-O-S. And its definition has nothing to do with spiritual things. This word... Here it is. Riches, wealth, abundance of external possessions. Why would Paul use this word? He's been talking to us about spiritual things. Well, we know (coughs) that privilege and revelation and understanding are all spiritual things. But now he's talking about riches. And it simply means in its actual context, in the Greek language, it means the possession of external possessions. And influence, with influence of more than enough. I'm not trying to make the Bible say something it doesn't say. I'm just letting, letting you see it like it says it. That your external possessions are provided by God just like your internal possessions are. I got three people on my side right now. I'm going to try to get you. Your external possessions are provided by God and this message of grace just like your internal possessions are. When it says riches, it's in Plutos, external possessions. I didn't make up the definition. You can find it in any concordance. Wealth and riches, 
It is what God wants, but most of us are so dependent on the government. Our faith is not in God in reality. Our faith is in the government providing. Was that crickets I heard or a pin dropping? I'm not sure, but... <laughs> Most of us are dependent upon this or that or this or that or hope mama writes a check when in fact the truth is God gives you all things richly to enjoy. That's why we bring. One of the reasons, I didn't mention it this morning, but it's one of the reasons why we bring our tithes and our offerings to say, hey, you gave it to me. You gave it to me. I acknowledge that you give, you're the giver of all things. Remember, remember, I want you to remember this. God is trying to get wealth to you. I am totally convinced <coughs> that God would rather see, the Father would rather see that brand new Mercedes Benz sitting at church on Sunday morning than at the bar on Sunday night. He would far rather see that in, in the hands of his people than in the hands of somebody who's not serving him. So when the pastor stands and says, we need some money for this or that or this or that, God's giving me a vision for this or that or this or that, Miss Ann says, we've got to take that wall out, we're going to put that wall up, and Lord help her, she's, she's going to say those kind of things eventually. <laughs> help us all. <laughs> I mean, isn't it, isn't it only, doesn't it only stand a reason that, that God's people be able to write that check? Doesn't it just stand to reason? I mean, we, do we have to go down to the bar to try to get them to give us the money? And tell them how, how good God is, He provides, please give us money? No. If your God provides, He should be providing through us. Amen. Amen. <coughs> but it's more than that. I want to say to you, the Lord doesn't just want to make you wealthy and give you more than enough because He wants to use you. He wants to give you more than enough because He loves you. Because He loves you. He loves you. He wants you like Him. That's why all these blessings and benefits come to us. Because they're more than blessings and benefits. They're more than just attachments to all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did. These are our inheritance. They belong to us, these things. When they belong to you, you don't have to beg for them. Well, then how do I get them? You believe for them. Use your faith. You believe for them. Well, the Lord, in the old Pentecostals where I was raised, they always said, well, the Lord knows my need. <laughs> well, yeah, he knows there's needs in India too. What's he doing about that? You all understand this. You've got to keep it in your mind. God is not moved by need, or He never would come to the United States. We're all, our beggars are fat. <laughs> I pass them on the streets in, in, in Dallas, Texas, big fat people out there begging for food. I don't think you need any more, really. I mean, <laughs> you understand? When beggars are fat, your country's in pretty good shape. I mean, it... <laughs> <laughs> Why would God come here if he's looking for people to help who are in need? That's not the point. He doesn't do, he doesn't, he's not moved by need. He's moved by what you believe. He's moved by faith. 
And around the world where countries are going down, it's because they've left God and they've started to try to organize their governments based on what they know instead of based on what the Word of God teaches us. Our governments should be, oh, thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Prophet's reward to you, Everett. Amen. Praise God. I was thinking about this here a while back. Um, thinking about the richest guy in Oklahoma. I don't know who that would be. Back, back when I was a kid, it talked about the Littles, the little oil company, you know, being some of the wealthiest people in the country. I don't know who's wealthiest people in Oklahoma now. Probably Frank, Frank Feets. But... Uh, <laughs> uh, I just got to thinking about, you go tour the, the mansion. There's a, there's a big mansion in, Saint, in uh, Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. There's a guy there that, who founded that town by the name of Smith Paul. That was, his, that was his horse thief name because his name before that had been Paul Smith, and he's from Arkansas, and they ran him out of Arkansas for stealing horses, and he ran to Indian Territory, Paul's Valley. Turns out he wasn't a real bad guy. He just stolen a horse or two. Or 10. Changed his name to Smith Paul and they established it. used to be called Smith Paul's Valley. It's out in the middle of the, middle of the state. Anybody ever been to Paul's Valley, Oklahoma? Pretty little town. I mean, a real pretty little town. The Washita River goes through there. Spelled the right way over in Arkansas. They don't know how to spell Washita. O-A-C-H-I-T. Why are you kidding? W-A-S-H-I-T-A, Washita. That's the way we spell it in Oklahoma. And... Uh, <coughs> He, uh, he plowed out all that whole valley, and the Indian man there that gave him his, his daughter to marry uh, gave him all that land that he could plow in so many days. And so that was Smith Paul's Valley. It's a big mansion there. Got bullet holes in it and an escape tunnel that goes down and way off out because of this guy battled. But he became extremely wealthy. Extremely wealthy. I just think about touring a mansion like that. Of the wealthiest guy in Oklahoma. They take you into the house. You walk in the front door, you know, and there's a Tiffany chandelier hanging over travertine marble slabs that are three feet by three feet wide. Just off over to the side is another great glorious light fixture and in the drawing room over there is an 11-foot Steinway grand piano. Sitting on a $500,000 Persian silk rug. Whew. Can y'all feel it? <laughs> and you open up those central doorways, at least the butler does, and those doorways, and there's the grand hall. Ah. Oh. Ceiling goes clear to the ionosphere. <sighs> That's somewhere out there. I don't know what. Well, I really don't know what it is. I just heard somebody say something about it. The, the troposphere, the stratosphere, the ionosphere, the ozone layer, and all those things. You know, mesosphere. And it, it's way high ceilings and big tall doors, and they open up with ease. And you walk in there, and there's there's furniture by all the fine makers of furniture. 
go back into the, into the master bed, bed, bedroom, the closet's full of nothing but Yves Saint Laurent. <laughs> you know, finest suits like, like, like Christian Dior and, and J.C. Penney, you know, and <laughs> stuff like that. Really, really, really fine stuff. Everywhere you go, I mean, there's fancy paintings on the wall by people like, like Pablo Picasso and, and Leonardo da Vinci and Donna C. You know, I mean, just the fine, finest stuff everywhere. And then you say, well, we've seen the master's quarters, we've seen the kitchen, we've seen all this place. Where are, the, where are the kids stay? We know y'all have children. Where do the kids stay? The kids? Are you kidding? <laughs> well, they ain't here in the house. The kids? You want to put kids in the house? <laughs> if you need to see where they live, well, come on with me. They take you out the back, through the kitchen, through the, through the servants' quarters, out onto the back steps, out the back the patio, through the, through the gazebo, out the walkway, until the, cement leave, until the cement ends, and then there's just this little dirt path that leads out the back gate of the backyard into the woods. And you walk along that path. This is where the kids live, in a little tar paper shack with a smokestack coming out the window. Yeah, we keep the kids in here. This is, this is horrifying. You open up the door, kids on a dirt floor, little cotton mattress that's been packed down tight, no, no give to it at all. This kids all huddled up on the... What are you going to think of this man? How many of you want to punch him right in the eye right now like I do? That makes a redneck come out in you, doesn't it, man? You just want to hit this guy. Sorry, jerk. Can I say to you, can I say something to you? This is the picture that all of religion paints of God. He lives in opulence beyond description. But his children, he makes them live in squalor. Amen, he doesn't. He doesn't. But this is the picture. No wonder the world hates God. Because the church tries to tell them that God is extravagantly wealthy, but he just makes us live and barely get along. What kind of father would he be? This is, this is okay as long as he's just our God. But when he calls himself our father, the kids get to live in the house. Kids get to live. They have the run of the house. Glory to God. Glory to God. Riches. Make a friend of the Greek word and say it. Plutos. I don't care. It's still a planet. Plutos. <laughs> care what they say. Amen. Then the universality, look at this, verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. To make all men see. That's the part I want you, you to see. All men see. There's not anyone that you know that God would not accept into his family. He is not that selective. They just must meet the condition of faith. When they hear the message of, of the grace of God in the gospel, which goes like this, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel. 
And this is where the grace of God was manifested, in what Christ did for us. And when you preach that, or you teach that to somebody, or you just talk in your normal conversation to anybody about that very thing, if they say something like this, hey, I, I believe that, I want that, how do I get that? You talk to them about just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will be saved. Because that day Paul was beaten to pieces when that Philippian jailer jumped in with that torch and said, what must I do to be saved? He did not say to this guy, you sorry, no account barbarian. You've beaten us to pieces. You've beaten us to pieces. You sinner, repent. Did he say that to this guy? Of all the people in the Bible that really deserved that kind of message, he didn't get it. Paul looked at him and said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your whole house. What? Trust me. The sinners you know, that's the message they need to hear too. They're not worse than this, this pagan jailer. They're not worse than him. The sinners you know are not worse than him. That message saved that guy and his whole house. It'll save your ugly sinners too. It'll save your ugly friends and family too. Praise God. Even your mother-in-law gets saved under that message. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Some of you laughed like, hey, well, you've gone too far there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was with you when you were saying sinner, but mm -mm. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Faith in Him changes everything. And it's the universality of it that means that God will take anybody, anybody you bring to Him. And there are also the triumph of it. Look at verse 10. I love this. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. One of the purposes of God, and you don't hear much about this, one of the purposes of God is this. You're going to learn something powerful today. One of the purposes of God in making the gospel so accessible to everybody, that's why a two-year-old can be saved and a hundred-year-old can be saved. The day they hear the gospel and believe it, anybody, any price range, red and yellow, black and white and brown, every person on the planet, man, woman, boy, girl, it does not make any difference. Whatever kind of weirdness you've been into, you can be saved today because of this glorious thing called grace and the gospel that goes, that, that goes like this, Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. But one of the purposes in that was that God was going to show by the church to principalities how stupid their plot was from day one. He is rubbing it, he's, as it were, rubbing it in the face of Satan every time you do something wonderful. Every time you open your mouth and witness to someone. Every time you bow your knee in prayer. Every time you give in the offering. Every time you show up at church. Every time you do anything that is of a scriptural nature. Anytime you do anything that has any amount of faith in it. Anytime you look to God rather than to the government for your source of supply. Anytime you are using your faith, you are rubbing it in the face of the devil. He said to this point that, that, that the principalities and powers, that is the demon hordes, that they would be insulted yet again because what do you do in the earth? Yeah, By the church, it said. Glory to God. Yeah. Pardon me, I get excited about these things. I get excited about being something, about being a part of something so triumphant as the church of the living God that He uses us to shove it in the devil's face yet again. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. And let me say to you, miracles and healings are wonderful things. Wonderful, wonderful things. But when you stand by faith 
for days, for weeks, for months, for years, believing for your miracle to come, your healing to come, and you're still just as strong in faith after 10 years as you were, that rubs it in the face of the devil more than anything else. That rubs it in the face of the devil more than anything else. He's still believing and he still hadn't got it. How does he do that? Because <laughs> faith is not based on what we see. Faith is based on what we know, based on the Word of God. Can I have a good amen? I hope I'm helping you today. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I am going to say this. Purpose is about your future. Purpose is about where you're going. If you can't find a purpose to what you're doing, you really need to stop for a minute and ask why you're doing it. If you're just doing it because it's what we do, that's not good enough. The reason why you come to church is because the Bible teaches that faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The message of the Word of God that that's talking about is the message of grace and peace with God. The gospel of peace, the gospel of grace. By hearing that over and over, it causes faith to come up. Listen, I've heard what they so-called call the, uh, the Word of God preached, and it never brought me faith at all. It just brought me fear because they were always preaching the law to me. It's in the Bible, but it's not really the message of the Word of God today. The message of the Word of God today is this dispensation of grace. That's what will bring faith to you. Glory to God. Because before, the word of, if it's just the Word of God without the message of grace and peace in it, well, then you always got to measure. Did I measure up? You always got to measure your life against what the requirements of it were. You follow that? All I got to measure my performance against is what Jesus did for me and how much I believe in that. And He will do what I could not possibly do. That's why you know it's God because it can't be possibly be based on how well you have performed. Don't misunderstand me. Righteousness creates a, a, a godly performance. It changes the way you live your life. We're not, we're, not, we're not in any way, say, just live any way you want to. We're just saying, we're saying if, you, if you want righteousness in your life and you have received it by faith, it changes how you live. Amen. And it creates an own, your, your own inward standard for, for right living. Amen. And you get concerned about your rewards and glory. And you work for God. Amen. What's wrong with saying we work for God for our benefits, for our, for our rewards and glory. But we do not work for God to try to go to heaven. Jesus did all that. Jesus ensured you're going to heaven because of what he did. And since you're in the family, why not do something that will last forever? Amen. Why not just do something that will just last forever? Pour your life into the things of God. Young people, hear me. The Bible teaches in Malachi chapter 3. It teaches that if you tithe, that God will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. I love that. The curse part of that passage was nailed to the tree 2,000 years ago, so I'm not going to say anything about the curse to you. But all the promises and all the blessings of the Bible, even in Leviticus, are ours. All the promises and blessings are ours. Young people, do you hear the promise of that? Hear the promise of it. If you tithe, you pour out a blessing you can't contain. What if you're planning to live to be 100 years old? What if you started now and for the next 10 years of your life, 
just give every waking minute to Jesus? What if you tithed your life? The promise of the Word of God is for the rest of your life, you'll live under an open heaven. <sighs> live under an open heaven. Wouldn't it be wonderful to never have to ask for money? Wouldn't it be wonderful to ne- mm, live under an open heaven? Praise God. Pour it out in a magnificent way. I think it'll work for anybody, but I'll tell young people that because they're more likely to do it. <laughs> no offense, folks. I'm just, I just, no young people think, yeah, I'm going to put that in my bucket list. George Reed, James Wilson, Stephen Hopkins, William Floyd, John Hart, Roger Sherman, and Charles Carroll. Anybody know what these guys did? Nobody knows what these guys did. What if I add a few names? Ben Franklin, John Adams, Samuel Adams, John Hancock. What if I add those names? Now do you know what these guys did? What did they do? They signed the Declaration of Independence. They signed the Declaration of Independence. But you didn't recognize them without those other big names that I, that I named, right? Can I say something to you? They were representatives of other states. We, we know the guys from Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, like that. Those are where these big names are from. Virginia, lots of them. Witherspoon, those guys. We recognize those names. We don't know these John Smiths and names like that. We don't know these guys. But they had exactly the same purpose. And had they not signed, we would not have what we know to be our liberty, our freedom. Their purpose was no less important than John Adams's purpose, Thomas Jefferson's purpose, Ben Franklin's purpose, Samuel Adams, all those guys. Their purpose was just as important. Can I say to you, your purpose is important. You may not go down in history as a big name, but heaven's watching. Heaven's watching. Heaven's watching how you change those diapers, Mom. <laughs> Heaven's watching how you talk to your children, Dad. Heaven's watching, noticing that you show up every evening sober without a stick in your hand. Heaven's watching. Heaven's watching how you bow your head and pray over your meals. Heaven's watching. They're taking good notes. They're keeping good records. Not so you'll be cursed, but so you can be blessed. Everybody understand this? When we say judgment's coming, judgment is coming. But for the believer, judgment is a joyful day. Why does judgment always have to be a bad thing? If you're waiting for a $3 million settlement to come to you, you're looking for judgment day, aren't you? (sighs) Glory to God. I'm on the high side of judgment day because my judgment was already taken out on Jesus. Glory to God. 2,000 years ago. Amen. You made a plea deal. You didn't even have to plead innocent or guilty. You just pled the blood. <laughs> and God took you up on it. I told him on, I told him on uh, Wednesday night about the thief on the cross, how he 
how the deal he made with Jesus. I, just, I think this is the coolest thing ever. If anybody knows anything about grace, it's that guy. He's hanging on the cross. He's there because he deserves to be there, and he said so. So he hadn't lived his life worth a flip. He's hanging on the cross beside Jesus. The other guy starts giving Jesus bad-mouthing bad him. This, uh, this poor other guy looks up and says, Shut up. He, he doesn't even deserve to be here. We, like, he hasn't done anything like what you've done. Then he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Not in heaven. He went into paradise into Abraham's bosom. He was there with him that day. And Jesus brought him out three days later. Can I put it in Durant, Oklahoma terms? Hey, Jesus, <laughs> if you'll save me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Jesus said, you got a deal. I'll take you. Why would he save a guy who could do nothing for him? Because he's not out to save you because you can work for him. He's out to save you because he loves you. He's out to bless you because he loves you. And because you believe him or ask him for it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for the Word of God. It is strong, strong, strong to change our hearts and change our lives and make us aware of who you are in us. Thank you for every believer in this place, but I especially thank you for those that are here today who have yet to make this confession of faith, yet to receive this great salvation. And I pray for them. I pray that you tenderize every heart here to receive today. Now, with your heads bowed just for a moment, let's, let's give some deference in this holy moment to, to those who are really needing to make a decision. If you're here today and you say, look, preacher, I, I've heard this message. I heard the gospel, but I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm, I'm not sure that I've, I've really ever believed it in my heart, but, but hearing it today, I, I do believe it, and I, I, like, I like prayer. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you specifically. If you say, that's me, I'm not, I'm not sure that if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven, but, but I want to be, and I want to know that I, am, that I am a Christian. I want to I make a confession of faith to the Lord. Is that you? I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come forward. I just want you to raise your hand in acknowledgement of this moment. And I'll pray with you. God bless you. God bless you, son. God bless you. Amen. Anybody else here? Let's all pray together. Let's all pray together. Dear God, I come to you. If you have your hand up, I want you to say it out loud with your mouth. Dear God, I come to you. In Jesus' name, I'm turning to you, Jesus. I give you my life. Come into my heart. Because I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were buried. And I believe you rose again from the dead. Take over my life now, Lord. As I surrender to you, I believe in you. Jesus, you are now my Lord my King, my God. And I thank you, Father, for bringing me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rejoice together. Praise God.